0: Please note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR.
1: Sometimes a film gets at the human condition so deeply that it comes to define and name an element of how we think and interact with our own idea of truth and memory. The Rashomon effect has come as a shorthand for the lie of objective truth. What you believe, basically, depends on where you stand or how you adjust your tracking.
0: Does that work? (laughs) That that doesn't really work. (laughs) I like it. Leave it.
1: We go. This is Adjust Your Tracking, a podcast where we're on an adventure to watch a century of cinema, decade by decade, year by year. I am one half of your hosts, Liam Delaney, and he is?
0: I am Oliver Jones' son. He is Oliver Jones.
1: Hey. (laughs) And it's... Um... Just it's funny you were saying, saying that. I
0: literally was looking at the Rashomon Effect Wikipedia page as you were saying that.
1: Awesome. See? 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 Yeah. See? 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 Yeah. It's kind of cool because it is what I know this film about. Like, I have never watched this film before, but I knew what this film was because I know what the Rashomon Effect is and I know, like, the thousands of TV shows and other films and cartoons that have done Rashomon episodes as, like, a trope. Yeah. Like, that's all I really knew. And it...
0: Well, I've, I've heard of the Rashomon Effect, but I didn't know if it was... I didn't know if the film Rashomon was based on that. Oh, yeah, which came first. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um,
0: yeah, because I knew nothing about this film coming into it. And, like, we'll get into it later on. Yeah, totally. But the main focus of this film, one of them, is that it features a rape.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. It absolutely (laughs) does. Thanks for bringing that right up. I think think we're just going to have to understand that the entirety of human civilization has been very aggressive towards women. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. and until recently, I don't think anyone thought about it. <laughs> and that's just the product of going back in time and watching these films. It's going to happen, apparently.
0: Well, I, I kind of thought this was going to be more of a... Cause, uh, like a... Hidden Fortress kind of... Do you know what I mean? Like, I more of a, like a samurai versus... I don't know.
1: More like, like a Yojimbo or something like that. Yeah, like, something yeah. like that. Not... Yeah.
0: not but I mean, don't get me wrong. We'll get into it later what we saw. I thought was great. But, um, sure, 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 sure. But um, yeah, how you doing anyway? You okay?
1: I'm okay. It's um, it feels like it feels like um, a just tracking after dark. It's like it's not even a late night record, and it's pitch black. Because the winter sucks, like, and it just drains all energy out of me. It just gets me like depressed. I think they call it sad, don't they? Seasonal affective disorder. I
0: think they call it. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not even five o'clock yet. No,
1: and it's just just pitch dark, and uh, it's horrible. I hate the winter. So I
0: live my life in darkness anyway, so it's, <laughs> it makes no difference to me.
1: You were bored in it. It's not a very good bane. <laughs> yeah, I, I was animated <laughs> in it. Yeah, <laughs> I can't do a good bane.
0: Oh, I did a I did a Instagram live yesterday. It was.
1: Oh, did you for the new
0: video? It was horrific. I mean, no. To be honest, it turned out all right, but. Um, you're
1: a seasoned broadcaster
0: now. Huh? <laughs> it was just awkward. Like, <laughs> loads of people constantly asking questions, like the same question, like, what what program do you animate in? What do you use to animate with? And, you know, it's like people have never. Like, I have to I have to remember that not everybody's an animator and not everybody actually yeah. understands the process. And, like, I'm thinking, well, Plasticine, obviously, has got a metal <laughs> armature in it and it's called Dragon Frame. Everybody knows that. Duh.
1: <laughs> Did you. um? Did you like? Uh, I mean, were, could you see yourself as being one of those people once in time? Like, were you once those persons on like a Q and A, not Instagram Live, obviously, but asking kind of just? Oh, oh. Uh,
0: no, not really. I guess I've always I've always been a person that kind of likes to figure stuff out for myself. Anyway, I've never really watched tutorials and stuff like that. I kind of just bumble oh, yeah, kind of yeah. my way through things, <laughs> and I will probably do everything completely wrong. So. <laughs> yeah, well, you do it your way, like Sinatra. but uh, it was what was awkward was because we're going to do a third video yeah they they were kind of getting me to kind of talk about the new video on the chat and that's sure and i I didn't i I didn't feel comfortable like just spitballing those ideas out no that was a bit weird but but jack's lovely he's the lead singing guitarist and that was that was fun
1: it's it's the um it's the truth about creative process and making films and making serialized content that the audience likes to think that everything exists in like stone at some point when you first yeah. start the <laughs> first thing you ever write and like yeah but p- like there are creators that that sell themselves on this they sell the lie it's not true um and it leads to like a fan backlash eventually when they realize it's not true <laughs> like,
0: well it's like this is what i find irritating is like Okay, the new Star Wars films—they didn't turn out great, mm-hmm. and everyone's like, "Oh, they didn't have a plan from the beginning." <laughs> it's like George Lucas didn't have a fucking plan they back in seventy-seven. Do you know what I mean? Just sometimes things work out well, and sometimes they don't. No,
1: exactly, and it's just, it's like TV. It's like Lost. Like they didn't know what they were doing from the start. They just wanted to tell you they did because that made you more invested in it, and they kind of want yeah, to. Yeah. They kind of want to get that kind of um, fan community that will dig into everything that's on screen that green lantern comic book with a polar bear you know and stuff like that like and.
0: but also as a creator i don't think you want to have every idea set in stone no. because that would be boring because you're it's kind crap. of filling it in by numbers then yeah. you kind of want to as the as an just like the audience you're kind of exploring these characters yeah. as well yourself and yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the world they live in and you kind of want to you know kind of go on along the adventure with them as well and yeah, otherwise yeah. you know it's just going to be boring for you
1: and there's the, you know, there's different ways of writing. Some people do write themselves into holes sometimes, you know, they, they just, instead of having a plan, they've kind of got to a point when they thought, fuck, I don't know how to get out of this now. And that's well, the kind of, that's the adventure. George R. R. Martin. Then, George R. <laughs> R. Martin's very famous for it. Yeah, because that's the reason books got so delayed is because he, he got stuck on a plot point and he couldn't keep going forward. So he threw out an entire book. Um, and started again and stuff like that. So and that that happens. That's what the creative process is. You should actually finish it as well, George. But um, <laughs> that well, is I mean, what the, the series is.
0: <laughs> as of early next year, the series will have ended two years ago. John God,
1: me. good point. That's incredible. And I remember when the last book came out. I was I was living in Northampton. And, uh, oh God, was that long ago? Yeah, and my um, was that like
0: before you went to Qatar?
1: It was, yeah. And my housemate—I remember we finished work. We were doing a site in Norfolk, and we drove to like Warstones to get the new George R.R. Martin book. <laughs> That's how long ago that was, though. Like. And he's not written—he's not finished a book since. <laughs> insane, <laughs>
0: insane.
1: And he's made a lot more money since. So fair play, George. Like,
0: yeah. uh, doesn't he write his books in dos and stuff like that hasn't he kind of got I he's like got paper.
1: like a bbc micro or something hasn't he isn't he quite famous for it he, he uses <laughs> a proper like just like like kind of yellow screened computer or something um like
0: is that just because you have no distractions and you're kind of just focused on what you're doing then
1: that's his that's what he says yeah
0: um, I'm sure he's got a flipping <laughs> iPhone next to him and the yeah. TV on to the writing.
1: I would argue that a lot of writers are, um, or a lot of, uh, not just a lot of writers, but a lot of people are quite uh, superstitious or stuck in their ways or a little bit kind of geeky and nerdy. I think that just plays into it probably a little bit more than because you can turn your internet connection off if you want. <laughs> you yeah, that's know? very true. You can even get those programs, can't you? I don't know if you've ever seen them that will block your internet and block certain sites for a certain amount of time. So. Oh okay. So, like, they'll say like it's kind of a, like a, some sort of like you know iron wall or something that for the next two hours you're not allowed to access Twitter or something, and it forces you to kind of get th- some work done.
0: I think the process in filmmaking the hardest. Part for me is the writing part this is why I don't really that's why I leave it to you and <laughs> that's why like, I don't all and stuff <laughs> <laughs> like I just i I love plotting I love doing that uh plotting's a lot but, of fun I agree, but like actually getting down and writing something I find really frustrating
1: yeah, yeah it's what,
0: yeah it's just it can be quite you get lost in it a lot of really sometimes, In
1: yeah you've gotta yeah, have it's... the freedom to be able to bounce back and forth in it. I think a lot of people yeah. get very linear in their writing and they finish they always feel like as soon as something's put down then that's done. And actually I think at least the way I've always written is I always just try and jump around with what I'm doing and throw ideas out and throw dialogue out and throw things out and then go back to it and change stuff around and stuff. I think I think you've got to be really fluid with it. And at least kind of nowadays that allows you that a bit more than it used to. Um,
0: I I, I tell you what I find it hard looking at the screen to write so what I've done recently I've taken the Chris Carter Vince Gilligan approach and where I actually write post-it notes okay 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 so it it makes it more visual
1: I tell you what I do um for everything I write this is if I'm writing academic stuff or whatever I use notepad tons um yeah actually just you know windows notepad my desktop is always full of dot txts and I just, <laughs> I throw shit in it, loads of shit in it, like post-it notes, just like digital post-it notes, basically. And I find it easier to throw stuff onto that and then use, like, Word to kind of write properly, but just to throw notes around in like, right. .txts. i I've, i I've tell you what, like,
0: the reason why I like the post-it notes because it's almost like looking at a timeline of uh, yeah. editing. Yeah, Cause yeah, yeah. Because you can yeah, actually yeah. see the flow of the film then. And then yeah, yeah. And then you build upon those post-it notes with dialogue ideas and stuff. Like do you do like. different so, yeah, colours for
1: dialogue or different colours for action? Different yeah, for yeah, so stuff for that, like, yeah. So I'll do like,
0: you know, you get a pad and you've kind of got pink yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> yellow yeah. and kind of mix it up a little bit.
1: No, that's really cool. But, yeah. I really think that's a good, good idea. I think it's probably what they do in writers' rooms a lot now anyway.
0: I mean, you know, I'm not as good as Vince Gilligan or Chris Carter, but, <laughs> but it helps. <laughs> it
1: helps. Every little helps. Oh, that's a tagline for something, isn't it?
0: So have you uh, watched anything recently?
1: uh i've been incredibly busy so not really i was um uh i can't remember what did i tell you last time that i watched the new Sophie couple i think i mentioned that that's one of the last things I've i think watched.
0: you mentioned it afterwards in the after I oh, did i was
1: it when we were just finishing well
0: that's probably yeah. the last
1: film i watched then um and what's it called on the rocks with um bill murray and someone else <laughs>
0: I want to say Melissa McCarthy, but that's not No, it it's is. definitely
1: not Melissa McCarthy. It's the, <laughs> it's the girl from uh, Community. Uh,
0: oh, Karen. No. Jillian Jacobs. No.
1: No. It's not from Community. I'm wrong. It's, it's Rashida Jones. From, oh, uh, Rashida Jones. Parks and Her Breath.
0: dad is um, Quincy Jones.
1: Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. I
0: mean, you do now. <laughs> <I> do now.
1: <laughs> yeah, Bill Murray, Rashida Jones, and Marlon Waynes. Um, and it's... Uh, it's a very Sofia Coppola film uh, and I loved it and I um, I think if you like Sofia Coppola you'll like you'll like it if you don't then you'll well, yeah, hate it I mean it,
0: right? I, I love Lost in Translation Me too, uh, yeah. what's the one with uh, is it Somewhere
1: Somewhere yeah I love Somewhere Somewhere's great I love uh, the, the Beguiled it was one of my favorite films that year I never
0: watched didn't watch that one and I Virgin didn't watch uh, Marianne Antoinette either oh I like Marianne
1: Antoinette it's fun Virgin Suicides is wonderful have you seen that oh yes yeah yeah, yeah forgot about that one. Uh, the only one i actually haven't seen is bling ring actually
0: Sorry. oh i i've seen bling ring i was that her did she yeah, go yeah. write that yeah yeah Yeah, i watched that because caroline really enjoyed that one but it's yeah, a okay. true story about the kids who kind of just go around robbing famous people's houses. <laughs> is oh, that no, right don't rob, i don't think they rob them they go in and they just kind of like live in their shoes like they're trying their clothes on and stuff like do you know what i mean just sure kind of like
1: yeah yeah just obs- obsession or something like <laughs> yeah no, I need to watch that. I haven't got around to watching it, yet. but I really like it, and I really liked this as well. And it's um, I can understand. I can just un- it's like all of our films. If someone tells me they don't like it, it's you know you can see why. You <laughs> know, it's just one of those things. Yeah. But um, I thought Bill Murray was fantastic in it. Uh, it's a bit of a you can see it as a bit of a not a sequel, but the same kind of energy spiritual translation stuff spiritual. like that. Like, yeah. though um, he's playing a very different character and a character you wouldn't normally see Bill Murray play though he brings a lot of energy to it which I thought was really good. Um
0: Well yeah. like Bill Murray feels like Bill Murray almost in yeah. Lost <laughs> in, <laughs> yeah, Translation. in it Translation. It feels like yeah. you know where does Bill Murray start in the character? You know I mean? Yeah yeah Bill yeah, yeah
1: yeah whereas this it's he's not uh, well he's not playing what people think of Bill Murray you know when that oh. kind of idea of him as a celebrity he's playing something different but uh, I really like it and it's I think people get the problem with Sofia Coppola is she, she makes movies about like rich people and I think that gets people's backs up a lot sometimes um because it's right. hard to sometimes feel connected emotionally connected to people like that who are incredibly privileged and incredibly rich I think it's sometimes hard to kind of get that about her it's why she was perfect to make the Marion Antoinette film I think um perfect subject for her really um right. and uh but i think when it works it works really well and i loved it so, i mean it it's
0: it's always a tricky thing when someone hit, it comes from such a privileged background but yeah. at the same time they are talented so you can't yeah, yeah, yeah. take yeah. that away from them Do you know what i mean
1: absolutely are yourself are you watching anything recently
0: yeah i've watched uh i watched the entire series of watchmen oh have you going back to lost cause it feels very lost like the way it's yeah. kind of put together but um yeah i thought it was uh, very good actually um awesome. <laughs> the journey is better than the destination. Okay. But um but I did like how it all came together and stuff. I just think some characters kind of got a bit of a kind of went by the wayside by the end. Okay. But okay. um but as a follow on from it's not a follow on from the film, it's a follow on from the comic book, which I found Good. <laughs> which I obviously it's good for me, but for people like Caroline who's only seen the film and hasn't read the book, she yeah. was like, What's what's this squid? And so I'm they like, actually I actually had the squid. Ex- good. Yeah, you actually you see it as well. So wow. it has flashbacks to like eighty five, where you see the squid in New York. Wow! And I, it made me angry in the film. Like, you think why of all the things you cut out of the film? Why did you cut that out? Because ah, that's cause so important.
1: Snyder has no idea what he's doing. That's why.
0: And like you know, like that film looks nice. It sounds nice. Yeah. And you know, but he kind of, it's it's like he misses the point about everything about. Yes. <laughs> it.
1: Yeah, it is. He doesn't. He doesn't have the. He doesn't get to grips with actually what makes the story the story. He never does. Yeah. None of his films do that. You know that's the problem. He doesn't actually get to the grips to the bottom of it. I'm shouldn't shit on him all the time, but like, <laughs> he just annoys me because he just gets these properties I love and then doesn't deal with them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so it's always um, like a, a target for my ire.
0: But it, um, it's got. A, but like when it first was announced, like everyone thought, oh, they're just going to adapt the. Um, the TV se- i mean, the the comic book series—but what they do is it's set in contemporary, like modern day America. So it's 2019, and mm. it's, it's basically the the police now wear masks. Mm. Okay. Superhero vigilantes don't exist, but there are police. But but you have police officers who kind of look like superheroes, kind okay. of almost. Yeah. Um. But it's. It, like watching it in 2020, like, you know, there's a lot to do with the race and the police, and then everybody's wearing masks. <laughs> so it kind of feels very apt at the moment. Yeah, good point. Um, the music is really good. It's by um, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Oh, is it by Trent Reznor? So, so it feels very kind of Nine Inch Nails and stuff. And, what was I watching uh, the other
1: day with Nine Inch Nails? Oh, I watched Alien 3. <laughs> is Nine Inch Nails in Alien 3? Didn't Trent Reznor do the soundtrack for Alien 3? Sure I don't did.
0: think so. Did I make? He that definitely up? did. Like he definitely did his uh, later films. Yeah,
1: yeah. Maybe I, I, mean, I, made I don't that
0: know off. if I don't know if um if Nine Inch Nails were around. Yeah, so, yeah Nine Inch Nails around. were around in '89. Pretty Hate Machine came out in '89. But um, anyway, um, what was I going to say? Yeah. So Regina King is like the lead character in it. She's fantastic. Um, she. I forgot what her character's called. Is it the the, oh it's called the the sister Night, and she kind of looks like a a exploitation nun kind of okay thing going on yeah um you've kind of, you've got um ya Abdul Mateen and he plays her husband mm. but there's something more with him that's quite interesting um Tim Blake Nelson is in it and he plays a character called the looking glass and he has a mask on that's basically like a mirror cool and tim blake nelson is one of my favorite character actors i really like yeah him. yeah yeah totally like you know he's you *No brother out there he's yeah. the one who kind of wants to get baptized and stuff like that yeah yeah i think he's uh,
1: isn't he the is he the lead of buster scruggs is that right
0: i think so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that's the one i haven't seen i haven't seen that one and i haven't seen uh hail caesar yet either so i need to get.
1: On oh, i like both of those a
0: lot but um who else is in it um you've got um don johnson you've got um <laughs> uh, jeremy irons plays um Ozzy Mandeus. cool good uh, casting and i really like his sto- his part of the story is really bizarre but it's quite cool how it connects later on in the film a uh, film the show
1: the nine hour film
0: uh, yeah it's it's definitely worth a watch and it's a very worthy sequel to the to the comic book i think it's definitely it's not what i expected but it was very pleasant uh, I'll try it. Surprise, I, I, I keep
1: meaning to, but I just don't get around to it. But,
0: I, but I, ju- I just think a lot of these long-form TV shows, and I quite like the fact that this is a one-off. It's just not Me too. Anymore.
1: I really respected him that he just went, no, I'm not doing any more. This was meant to be just this.
0: Like, Well, I mean, there's only so many times you can do an end-of-the-world scenario kind <laughs> yeah, of sure. storyline. Do you know what I mean? And um, I just don't think they had the... Like, the ending just felt a little bit anticlimactic, and I think... You know, that's that's a that's still one of the things Is that the a TV thing? Yeah. I mean like Game of Thrones had quite a very big spectacle ending, didn't it? And I mean, whether whether or not you liked it, that's besides the point. But I think Um Yeah, they just didn't have enough money to do well, I I don't know what their ending would have been. The the ending they probably filmed as the ending they had, but it just sure. didn't feel like it kind of met the rest of it for me. There's some great character building stuff. I mean, like Hooded Justice plays a big part in it and cool. he's like he's really cool how they how they use Weep that character in. yeah cool and then what else have I watched I watched uh, an old wrestling documentary called is it Beyond the Map Beyond
1: the Map god yeah I saw that in the and, 90s I think oh yeah around it came out in 99 like, and um, 2000s, I don't know if,
0: like yeah. just a friend recommended it to me and I thought it was a new documentary and I was like thinking is this the right one it's like 20, <laughs> it's like 20, 20 years, old, years yeah. old but like you know I knew that wrestling was obviously everyone knows it's fake and all this stuff and everyone knows it. it's not fake. Even it's as pre- fake scripted. as it is, it's still brutal as fuck. People get hurt and Yeah,
1: it's not fake, it's just scripted. It's predetermined. Yeah, it's just scripted. That's yeah. the best way to put it. Um
0: but like the the biggest shock for me was to see like what the rest how the wrestlers like dealt with their everyday life. So like Jake the Snake Roberts is like a crack addict and like he's yeah, yeah, finding yeah, out really, like, really you know, time. that that he is a product of rape. Basically his mother mm. was you know, you found out that his dad was dating his mother's mother. Hmm. And rates her daughter. It's just, and then you see his relationship with his dad in it. And you think this is just bizarre. and Then you find out his sister was murdered and all this kind of stuff. And then, but then you see like people like the Rock later on in it, and you can just see how they're very so different. They're in the same world, but yeah. Like yeah. One person yeah. is kind of laser focused. He's got his shit together. Yeah. And this other guy, who's still just as talented and as smart, but hmm. for some reason, it's just. You know, you, f- you can't help but feel just feel really bad for for them, and um you know, is Vince McMahon exploiting them? You know, yes. probably yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Um you know, it's yeah, it's just sad. And then who's the other guy in it? He's, oh shit! Terry. Mick Foley
1: plays a big a big role in it. Um, yeah Terry, but he comes Terry across Funk. as a
0: very kind of centred person though he like, is, yeah. a little bit misguided in places but he's got a very good heart and, yeah he uh, does you know, yeah he's yeah, he has a big he's heart. definitely like a family man and he puts that f- He, I think he puts that first
1: yeah yeah Terry Fung is another the one Terry Fung that's who yeah. I was thinking of yeah
0: yeah who's a guy who retires in it and then in the in the credits at the end it's he like three months done. later he's back in the ring
1: I'm not even sure if he's retired now like
0: yeah he's 73 yeah now, I think
1: I know he's, it's it's a product of wrestling is one, it's a thing that it's really difficult to walk away from because it's your life and it's like adrenaline and stuff like that. But also because of the nature of wrestling, these people don't make a ton of money. They don't have any other education. They don't have anything else to fall back on. A lot of them because you know they're traveling all the time. They never see their their family. Families they just, often yeah, end up with broken yeah. homes and stuff like that. They often like then at divorce settlements and stuff like that. They often and their health insurance isn't covered by the by the organizations. Like the WWE doesn't pay them health insurance. So they ha- they spend so much money on these broken bodies they have by the time they're like thirty two or something. Like you know head injuries is obviously going away now, but that used to be a massive thing and it's well, just was like, that
0: one who the one who killed his family mm-hmm. wasn't there? yeah benoit yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: benoit yeah and there's there's so much of that in that wrestling it's a really sad world and the, the thing is and it's starting to change now because like the fans don't want to see that they don't want to see you broken they don't want to see oh, you no. having like no you know not be able to walk by the time you're 30 they don't want that so it is starting to shift now that the wrestlers are kind of starting to look after themselves and hopefully that we'd be better but it's not shifting in the corporate sense the the we just exploits these people it's horrible like and it's yeah whatever
0: (laughs) but but i noticed a very similar kind of they feel like like rock and roll and wrestling feels very similar like you know if you're an aging rock star you're constantly touring yeah you're in a hotel room every night you know you live it you know, you can't you know, you're up till late, so you're probably taking stuff to go to sleep and, Yeah, you know you're hurting because you're running around stage for two hours, you're probably aching and hurting. So Yeah. It felt felt very similar and very sad as well at the same time. But yet you like I said, like you have the rock who's kind of got shit together, you've kind of got these younger rock acts who kind of like they treat it as like a business, so they kind of have got their shit together. And-
1: yeah, you also get you also get the thing that the people like the Rock are privileged in it. They came from a big wrestling family. They were brought yeah, up in it. Yeah, yeah. Like they they came from. I wouldn't say came from money, but there certainly is that there. Um, there is that change to it as well. People like Orton is another one who came from like a huge family. He's right. not in that. He was too young to be in that documentary, but he's it he just comes from like a legacy of it, and they tend to have their shit together a little better. Um, because of that really whereas if you come from like a tiny town in Oklahoma, you know and you're you you're trying to get into this industry you're wrestling anything you know and you'll do anything you'll take any kind of bump or any kind of injury in any parking lot you're offered you know for a couple of quid just to get noticed and stuff so it tends to be that different element to
0: it like you you see one guy who's like a new wrestler and he obviously his usp is that he can throw up on command Oh, God. So, like, so... so Vince McMahon's like, okay, your name is now Puke, and that's you... what you're going to do. You're going to puke. And he's like, okay. He puts like a box in front of him and goes, puke now. <laughs> like, makes him puke on command in the in the interview, pretty much. And you're like, thinking, fucking
1: out. So... Do you know that's Droz? His name is Droz. And he ended up having a, um, he ended up getting um, uh, uh, paralyzed because of wrestling. He took a bump sa- that broke his, like, spine or something like that. And he ended up in a wheelchair. Well, it
0: says yeah. at the end of the documentary that, you know he um, he became he said Puke didn't survive but he, became, he became a fixture in wrestling and then he yeah, yeah, yeah qu- got paralysed so is he still to this day unable to walk
1: yeah he's quadriplegic he got a uh, he oh, took shit. a he took um, a powerbomb that he landed awkwardly on his neck um, and broke his neck and just had an injury he never walked again couldn't use his arms or anything like that like um, it yeah. was I mean you know looking really, at really wasn't long after that as well documentary. yeah 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 Owen Hart yeah it happens a lot <laughs> like
0: I mean, like, that could have happened to Mankind when he fell from the, um, the cage, do you yeah. know
1: what I mean? It absolutely could, like, it absolutely you know. could. That's. I the... mean,
0: I think that match alone could have killed him three times, like, when he takes yes. the dive off the top and he hits that desk. <laughs> that one is think... probably
1: the safest one they do in that. In that match, I'm pretty
0: sure I watched that at yours when we were maybe yeah like on yeah Friday Night Raw or what, I don't know.
1: There's one they do they it they takes a choke slam on top of the cage and he in it this was the first time anyone had ever done this and they thought the cage would take his weight and it doesn't the cage the, the top of the cage just just drops open and he falls through and hits the ring. It's not especially dangerous, but like one he wasn't prepared to fall so he wasn't landing yeah. correctly, and two there was a chair on the panel that he was on and the chair falls with him and he smacks his head off the back of the chair when he lands like knocking himself out and the front of the chair hits like his mouth which pushes a tooth from like (laughs) his mouth up into his fucking like nose or something it's ridiculous Mm. (laughs) it's horrible like these people they're
0: mental I mean he seems to be quite a a, like I said though he seems quite a well-rounded guy and even now he seems like quite a you know I think yeah, he obviously doesn't wrestle anymore, does he? I don't no, think. No, 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 not for years. No, he did a documentary though called "Where it Became Santa Claus." I know that.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's obsessed with Santa. That's the one thing I know about Mick Foley. He's absolutely obsessed with Santa. You read his reason. book, didn't you? Yeah, I read his first autobiography. Like, yeah. yeah, I did. It's good actually, especially when at that time wrestling was still this kind of, it was still doing what they call like kayfabe, where they weren't really talking about themselves as real people. They were all. They were trying to push the idea that the characters were real. So, like, right. um, it was one of these first autobiographies that are kind of lift, lifting the kind of the shroud on what wrestling actually is and stuff, and and talking about how it's all you know, scripted and playing characters and what it means to take moves and the fact that these people do actually hurt themselves and they do actually doing real stuff. You know, it's just they're kind of you know they're trying to do it in a way that's not killing themselves. We should probably move away from wrestling. wrestling. But <laughs> what we got now though is a momentous event i think because it's the start of a new miniseries. so like fanfare (speakseras) that's rocky i was doing i don't (laughs) rocky um yeah so we're cutting down to the cutting down whatever to the 1950s now which is a long time ago 70 years ago into film yeah and um uh i don't know why we chose the 1950s more than anything, but more I kind of like 1950s films. I think that's what attracted me to it. It's one of the older periods where I still have a little bit of knowledge, I think, of the films in that era. And I've oh, seen more than some. Um, I think some years I'm going to really struggle to, to know anything. But the 1950s, I've still got some kind of like knowledge to it, I think. Um, what about yourself when 1950s? What do you think about 1950s or 1950s? In
0: well, I mean, the whole point of doing this podcast is like you know I've always said I'm a cinephile but clearly I'm not because like there's so many gaps in my history you know my knowledge of film and like eras that I watch you know like pretty much I'm 70s onwards and like other than like Ray Harryhausen and kind of some B movies and stuff I very rarely go back which is bad on you know I think it's bad there's only a few that I can really name and you know uh, Cinderella, because I'm, you know, a Disney fan, animation yeah. fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not my favourite Disney film, though. I mean, I know a lot of people do like it. It's not one of my favourites. Sure. Um,
1: I don't really like Cinderella, if I'm honest.
0: Yeah, it's not one of the best. No. Like, you know, Sleeping Beauty, which comes out later like on in Sleeping the decade. Yeah. Is, is good as well. It's not great. It's more style over substance, though, I think, with that. One. But, That's um,
1: fair. Well, I really like that film. Um,
0: what other films do I like? All About Eve.
1: Yeah. I, I Yeah, I saw... I really like All About Eve it's a great film yeah Um, you get a lot of these films about kind of Hollywood coming up at this point at the moment so that's um, Mankiewicz I think his name is the yeah, director yeah. I um, saw All About Eve la- this year this year at the theatre in um, <laughs> the
0: cinema. oh an actual play yeah, yeah theatre oh, yeah.
1: production of it it was um, it, it was I can't remember the theatre name but it was in London obviously it's where theatre lives and uh, Gillian Anderson was playing the lead character
0: Oh, wow. We've seen Julian uh, Anderson in Fresh. I'm actually yeah. jealous. Very jealous. jealous.
1: Very, very connecting tissue of our lives with the X Files, I think. Yeah, oh, and, like, yeah. I could Gillian do it Anderson like. Anderson, especially. Like, she played the Betty Davis
0: role. Like, just to um, talk about the making of the last music video that I did. All I did was listen to Kamal Nanjiani's podcast called The X Files <laughs> Files, and like it's it's so blatant that at one point he knew the X Files was coming back, and he was he was meeting all the right people to come on his podcast that he knew were writing it. So I think he was trying to get himself on it, which eventually he did. He became the villain in it, yeah, and as yeah. soon as he became a villain on the X Files, he's like, hey, I can't be bothered with the podcast anymore. I've, I've <laughs> pretty much I've reached peak um, X Files. <laughs> he's in a good episode though
1: I really like that episode he's in yeah that was one of the best of the reboots I didn't watch the newest series maybe I should But um...
0: there's a few good ones in that so yeah the episode that he's in is basically the the person you think is a it's got it's Rhys Darby isn't it and you think yeah it is Reece he's Darby like, he's kind of confused of what's going on with his life but basically he's a he was a monster that got bitten by a man so he's like a were-man <laughs> or yeah. something really weird
1: Actually, I would argue that the episode's a bit of a Rashomon episode. It's about
0: yeah, it is actually, isn't it? Yeah,
1: because it's about multiple different narr- narratives of like uh, of what people saw and stuff.
0: So. But anyway, going back to the fifties, the only other film I've seen is uh, Harvey.
1: I was going to say Harvey. I think is my uh, she can correct me, but I think it's my mom's favourite film. Oh really? Um, so I, I know Harvey. Go on, really Beris. Well. Let us I, know. Yeah, let us know, Berris. I just not call you Berris. <laughs> Hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, Harvey's wonderful. I love it. It's a big film of my childhood, actually. I saw it a lot. Um, So it's got Jimmy Stewart, who, for my money, is my favourite Golden Age actor. I really, really like James Stewart. Um, I think he was really naturalistic in a kind of way that I think a lot of actors aren't at the time. Um, But yeah, James Stewart playing uh, Harvey, whose best friend's a giant bunny and...
0: Oh, do you remember that scene in um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit and the Harvey yeah, yeah, yeah. joke? And so, for as a kid, for years and years and years, I was like, I, I have no idea what, <laughs> what he's is on about.
1: <laughs> yeah, here's my friend Harvey.
0: <laughs> yeah, Why does he sound like that? That's what he's like in Roger <laughs> Rabbit. Isn't it? That's what he does. <laughs> no, he's not like that. He's like, whoa, he's a bit more gruff, isn't he? Oh yeah, he's he's I think like, like, yeah, I'm doing James, James yeah. Stewart. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I do my best James Stewart that's what I'm doing <laughs> which is not a very good James Stewart um what about you uh well yeah you hit the hit the ones I know I think um I am I was saying to you before recording I am halfway through watching Sunset Boulevard because <laughs> I thought I'd watch oh, yeah, it yeah. uh but I just got caught up with work and I couldn't finish it but Billy wider film that's all about the kind of um the fact that Hollywood at this point it's 1950s it's kind of in the kind of the early adult era of like if 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 cinema was a person you've gone through like like infancy and childhood and teenage years and now you're into this kind of adult period of films um and you get a lot of cinema at this point in the 1950s that's looking back at the golden age of cinema like silent cinema and these these big productions and kind of like almost with nostalgia and saying like where were we then and how good were we then kind of stuff and you you well, get a lot I'd, of that I'd in argue the, 50s.
0: the film that we're gonna watch like a debt massively mm-hmm. to silent cinema, it really. Does. I mean, yeah, you yeah. know, like, well, we'll get into it. But
1: <laughs> and I think, like, it, you know, generally about the 1950s as a decade of cinema is kind of interesting. It's it's the first period where cinema, or at least Hollywood, is in decline. So it's the first time it hits a decline since its growth. And the large part of that is because people started having TVs at home in the 1950s, whereas yeah. before then they didn't. Um, so really, it's the first time that their profits and their money starting really getting impacted by the fact that TV is taking people away from cinemas. And that's reducing the kind of the output and the money that's coming through Hollywood. And because of that, you get a lot of cynical kind of worry, worry kind of films in 1950s in Hollywood. You get a lot of kind of anxiety about where they are um, and a lot of stress. And I think we'd both agree that that attitude sometimes leads to greatness. And I think, like, mm. some of the kind of best, some of these Hollywood people that you know of, like, you know, John Ford, Hitchcock, Billy Wilder, Kasdan, uh, Vincent Minnelli, um, uh, they produced their best work in the 50s out of this kind of era of, of a bit more worrisome, a bit more strife, a bit more efforts to do it. And, uh, and because of that, uh, that kind of strife as well, there is something we'll talk about in a later episode because of the House of Un-American Activities thing, which is a big thing in the 50s that started around 1947 when they're looking for communists in Hollywood and they're kicking out anyone okay. who can possibly be a communist. Uh, we'll talk about that in Rafivi because Rafivi wouldn't exist without the House of Un-American uh, un- uh, un- Activities. But because of the kind of decline stuff, you get a lot of gimmicky stuff in the 1950s, which I think is really fun. So you get this period where people are trying to use technology to drive people to cinemas rather than just filming. So you get like CinemaScope, VistaVision, Cinerama. Well,
0: yeah, like Dynamation, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and to try
1: and say, like, you have to be in the cinema to watch these. You can't watch it in TV. Like, you need a big screen to do this.
0: Well, which was the insane one where it was literally two... Pro- it was that wide that they had two projectors and they had to line it up. <laughs> I don't like, know. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it was like super wide. Like, it was That insane. might be
1: Cinerama. That might be Cinerama. Yeah, it's like... It's like, um,
0: n- like I, th- I think only a few films were made in Cinerama or whatever sure. it was because it's just insane.
1: But yeah, like, um, I, d- I couldn't tell you the difference between Cinemascope, Division, Cinerama. I'm not that technically...
0: Like, well, a lot minded, of them but... were like bullshit terms. They didn't really mean anything. So, like, Dynamation was just a... A, a term a, a fake term made up just to make it sound <laughs> more better than it was you know diner came from like the name of uh the flow system on his the producer's car so he was like oh let's take that That, that sounds diner good yeah yeah that is so 1950s nation.
1: to me like yeah. that like adding words to stuff to make it sound futuristic that's such a big yeah, thing yeah. in the 50s like and you also get in the 1950s, um, the similar sort of thing is you get 3D. So 3D did exist in like the 20s or something like that. It really early technology, the 3D existed, but they bring it back in the 1950s because they're trying to drive people to cinemas. So we actually get a huge amount of 3D films coming out in the 50s, um, which is just another gimmick, you know, the same way that it was used in the 80s, I think they bring it back yeah, in. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And then they use it again like in the 20- 2000s to drive people back into cinemas. So it's, it's, it's just a thing in that people the 2000s do.
0: Though, but
1: yeah, but it's just it's a similar sort of thing. Just still trying a, to drive a, people a to cinema. Like that's all they're really trying to do, and then put their profits up. Um, we won't be watching any three D films, but like it was a big thing about the fifties, like with three D films.
0: <laughs> was them not shot in three D? Was that like a
1: that might be that might be actually we'll have to see. So, Let's like, yeah. have a quick look. But yeah, you start what big big things about nineteen fifties is like sci fi films as well starting getting really big, and that's what like.
0: Te- hang on, sorry. Going back to them. Yeah. Production began in 1953, originally conceived to be 3D. There we go. Uh, test shots in colour and 3D were made. A few colour tests of larger scale and models were also made. But when it was time to shoot in 3D, uh, basically it was scrapped. So it was going to be <laughs> shot in 3D, but wasn't it yet. <laughs> Next. Next.
1: <laughs> well, we'll get to them in the series as well. That's cool. Um, not much more to say, really, about like moving on, really. They've got a lot of changes in, I think... You see a lot of tendrils of modern cinema happening in the fifties. You start seeing those kind of studio systems breaking down at this point, even though they're still kind of prominent into the sixties, really. But like you start getting the like actors come through this period, which we'll still see in later films. Marlon Brando's huge, you know, Streetcar Named Desire, Wild One, and stuff like on the waterfront. Um, huge cin- like change of cinema, like person to bring this method acting into kind of into cinemas in the fifties and stuff. So like um but also you get the rise of film criticism, which is a big thing in the fifties. And uh you get then out of that, well, out of the French cinema magazine that's name's gone out of my head, you get auteur theory. And that's really the first moment in the fifties where people start. Well I was gonna say in the f- like,
0: The fifties feels like the decade where the director is very yeah. prominent in because, you know, the, before directors were essentially showrunners, weren't they? Yeah, the they were. And people
1: were, were just like it. the two biggest things in in, in um, films are the screenwriter and the actors. You know, behind the screen in yeah. front of the screen. That was the way people thought about or films. Or the producer, basically. Yeah, and the producer. We're going to make a made, picture. Yeah, a <laughs> <Yeah>, picture. <laughs> And uh but yeah, you start getting people to talk about Altair theory. There are a lot of people criticizing this period, but because of the French New Wave stuff coming through, it was hard to argue with it and, and then you started looking at the like, Howard Hawks, you know, and and like and people like Hitchcock and stuff like that and and Ford started kind of pushing out this idea that Altair was a big thing and we've never really left Altair theory. So in a lot in a large ways that's all where it starts in this period. So I think it, I'm quite my point of my ramble is I'm quite excited to do nineteen fifties films.
0: Yeah, same. Yeah. Same. I, I like so as you know, we're going to be talking about the film today. I was hoping to watch more of his films this mm. week, but just work dictated that I couldn't. And, and especially some of them, they're quite lengthy,
1: so they can be. I was quite glad that this wasn't because I yeah, was struggling to fit. Nice, nice tight. Yeah, nice tight. tight. Yeah, yeah. I'm really happy with that. I do eight eight minutes. that's perfect. Um, yeah. Like yes, yeah, so Kurosaga. That's who we're dealing with today. Um, Kurosaga. Kurosawa. Did I say it wrong? <laughs> I'm going to you say so Kurosawa. many names wrong. Akira Kurosawa. 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 Oh, God. <laughs> I just dub me over with someone who knows what they're talking about. Uh, I, yeah, I know nothing about uh, Kurosawa. I, I've, I've only ever seen Seven Samurai. And honestly, I, I didn't realize it was like three and a half hours long. So I don't remember it at all. <laughs> um, and that's, yeah. So I was saying the similar sort of thing that uh, I think... I would like to do Ran later on in the '80s when we do the '80s to watch like. That yeah, sounds good to me. Like. But it's undeniable he's one of the biggest names in cinema. Um, I was gonna say in Japanese cinema, but he's not in cinema just worldwide. Um. Oh yeah. Just so incredibly influential. It's it's hard to actually kind of f- kind of talk about him without struggling because you could talk about him forever, but like. His kind of filmmaking and the stuff that he did directly leads into stuff that we all love. Like, Star Wars doesn't exist without him. Um,
0: Yeah, without... Was it Hidden Fortress? Hidden Fortress, yeah. yeah, Because it's all told from the servant's point of view. And obviously, you know, it's it's meant to be that C-3PO and R2-D2 are telling that story because they're the first characters you kind of...
1: You kind of meet, yeah. And they argue in the same way that the two characters in Hidden Fortress argue with each other as well. Like it's it's no hidden like like Steven Spielberg said the same thing about the, about about um Kurosawa. to the point that that Spielberg financed his last films when he came back to Hollywood in the eighties like
0: I thought it was um Lucas who helped finance Rand I thought they probably both did I'm gonna guess probably yeah
1: <laughs> yeah um Sidley Limet, um he was a big push to get Kurosawa recognised in the eighties Academy and stuff like that like um it's there's there's no way to say that it, it's hard to say that he wasn't like a, just a like a giant of cinema um this was wasn't one of his earlier films but uh, do you know like he made a film a year i think almost every year from the 1950s and 60s or something like his output is is ridiculous (laughs) like um yeah almost a film a year all the way through to the 1950s and 60s, leading. to... I was to going like...
0: to say he's 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 not quite as uh, productive as Takeshi Mike, but yeah. <laughs> God, yeah.
1: <laughs> but in a in a long way, what's really fascinating about kind of Rashomon, the film we're talking about today, is that like you, Japan's just coming out of World War II. 1945, mm-hmm. the film finishes, the, the war finishes. Uh, no one is really knowing what's happening in Japan for those five years, and there's a lot of rumors about what they're doing and what like the art is. And then I think it was 1951 at the Venice Film Festival. They show um, Rashomon, which wasn't a. It didn't do well in Japan. People, it it was a very unusual film for Japan. But people said it wasn't. It's it wasn't like the films coming out of Japan at the time, and it wasn't particularly well liked. So they didn't actually want to have it to represent Japan at the the, the Venice Film Festival. But it was an absolute shocker. Like people, American critics watched it at Venice. With in Japanese with with Italian subtitles and <laughs> and went home to write reviews on about it about how amazing it was. But like, it's, it's
0: one of those films that you can watch, I don't think you even need to read the dialogue, you can kind of can get, just what's get going it on, yeah, because the way it's structured and the way it's put together, and like you know, I can understand why at the time it was not controversial, but you know, it had apparently it had. Four hundred and fifty shots in the entire film. Which huh. today in today seems like, you know, nothing. Yeah. yeah. But but back then shot the films then had two hundred and fifty shots. Do you know what I mean? Right, it, was right. almost, so it was like this was a lot faster paced. Right. And um and even the music, I think the music doesn't Music's sound amazing. very it doesn't feel stereotypical Japanese kind of music. It, no. it feels very different and um,
1: But it also it's presented like theatre as well. Especially like the um the trial scenes. That the camera was just oh, placed but, as you as a POV. Um, we, I mean, like yeah, stage, I mean, a lot like, of
0: films. I don't know if films have done that before, or but, I yeah, guess, de- like yeah, said, but yeah, like you said, definitely like theatre. Um, the way they address the camera or talk to you as yeah you know, yeah because it's like a silent juror, isn't it? On silent, yeah, you, that, know, you like never your, hear the dialogue from the from yeah. the court. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. And like, literally, this was just a phenomenon. In 1951, it got shown in Venice. It won the grand prize there, which is insane. People were just like, what the fuck? Japan has cinema? Like, um, which, of course it did. It it was one of the only film uh, kind of industries in the world that hadn't been infected. That's probably the wrong word, by Hollywood. Like, um, it really, Hollywood films didn't really play in Japan, so it had a really strong theatres like, tradition and arts. And this was really the first time Japanese cinema left or made an impact outside of Japan. So for most people, this was the first Japanese cinema they'd ever seen and just made Kurosawa just an absolute icon. Uh, and, you know, the actor as well, um, Mifune, is that how you pronounce his name? Uh,
0: which one, which character was hey, the, he? He plays the
1: bandit. And, uh, he he um worked in almost every single kurosawa film for this period uh i think 15 of them or something like that like um but he ends up 16 16 film collaboration before they fell out um, but they um 150 feature films he acted in he was like undeniably kind of japan's most famous actor uh and um it just made him into celebrities it just made him into huge celebrities and this coming just after the war is is kind of crazy like you know like um those tensions were still there those guys of ideas were still there just just propping up and for this to come out i think is one of the big reasons why it kind of made such a, a crazy impact really that this existed um and uh So people, there was just a rush to kind of then get Japanese films into kind of American cinemas because of this. It was quite funny because Rashomon didn't represent what Japan was making at the time. So they didn't get another kind of Rashomon come straight out, um, which they were kind of expecting.
0: I I find it quite fascinating how this film came to be because um, I was watching... uh, My DVD has a documentary on the making of Rashomon. Cool. And I have to admit, I didn't watch all of it because it was pretty much a... Not a making of it, it was just a taught uh, like an interview with the I think the cinematographer and the writer okay but it's all badly subtitled so I kind of my patience (laughs) is wearing thin but I watched enough of it and uh, the first interview was with um I'm gonna butcher his name Shinobu Hashimoto who's the writer
1: okay okay
0: and so I think the way I don't know how the systems work then or how they work now whatever but basically he was working he was a writer and he was obviously working for a company i think it was like toho or something like okay. that okay and so he was submitting his scripts and the person who he worked for actually died okay and so he submitted a load of other scripts to another uh guy and he was like oh you, all your stuff that you write is fiction uh not is like it's your own work have you ever thought about adapting anything right and so you know he was like no i'm not really interested in adapting work i'm actually i'm, I'm more interested in creating my own stories then apparently, like this kind of buried in his head, and he was like thinking, Oh, what well, maybe I should <laughs> adapt something? You know, it might be a good, um, uh, a good challenge or something. J- challenge, yeah. So he got a load of books, and so the one was, uh, one of them was In the Grove, yes. And um, it took him three days to write it into a sh- uh, film, and apparently, Jeez. it was 88 pages. Which, um, I mean, if you look at it now, it, it's an 88 I minutes. Mean, thing but That's he said apparently at that time it, it was too short apparently if they were to have shot that screenplay it would have only been like an hour okay but um somehow it basically ended up in the hands of Ikaro Kurosawa and he wants to make it basically but he said look we need to expand upon it and kind of you know develop it a bit further but he was actually quite ill uh the the writer I mean he lived to, uh, he lived to 100 years old so he lived <laughs> to be honest but he had like a really bad back and he couldn't like he was bedridden for a while Okay. So Akira Kurosawa actually finished writing the screenplay. Right. But this guy, um, he actually wrote most of Akira Kurosawa's biggest films, so he like he wrote um 7 Samurai and sure. you know did uh, he worked on Hidden Fortress as well and Ikaru and Throne of Blood. Yeah, there's a thing
1: like. with Kurosawa, they call it um Kurosawa gummy, I think it's called. Uh, and basically he had lots of a team of people that he always worked with. So the composer, um, I don't want to try these names because I'm an idiot, Uh, Fumio (laughs) Hayazaka. he basically composed a ton of Kurosawa films. He composed this, cinematographers. uh, The the, the cinematographer from this did um, Yojimbo as well. That's a Kazuo Miyaga. I'm doing that wrong. The art department basically did every single one of his films. So like the same art department, Yoshiro um, Muraki, I think, did like all of their films. Uh, The production crew were always the same people and the actors as well were regularly in most of them the actor uh, Tashimi Shimura uh, who plays the woodcutter in this was in 21 of Kurosawa's films so like there was this kind of element that he had his team behind him and this, this kind of, you could tell a Kurosawa film, which is really odd with this film because it's not like his other films. His other films have like stylistic things and almost like reoccurring themes, which don't actually exist in this one. There isn't really that master disciple stuff that you get with that kind of relationships of samurais yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, there isn't really that heroic champion stuff that you see in a lot of his samurai films That was, um, either. Um, and you, get, you do get kind of elements of, like the atmosphere and weather and stuff like that, which is a big thing in his films. In this, but really, this film isn't isn't really a good example of his films. It's very different to it, and it's almost what makes it really special for me. I mean, I have to watch his other films. I do admit that, but you can definitely sense something really, really great about this film. Um, it it's, it grabs an idea and just portrays it. You know, like it just absolutely goes for it in a way that I was really impressed by. And you say eighty eight minutes, it, it just gets to the point, you know, like it knows what it's doing and gets to the point about it. And um I do not know if I say we do this, few, this week's film we're doing Rashomon. I don't even know if I said that, but like uh, but um yeah, play the trailer I guess. <laughs> <laughs> 血は世にも皇族、
0: 時平安の末、<音声><音声> I,
1: As I say I know what a Rashomon is because of like cartoons like i like i know what a rashomon episode is mm-hmm. in cartoons you know I, there's a really famous episode of uh batman the animated series called point of view which is um just this you know it's it's different cops telling them telling you about the same encounter with batman all from their different yeah. like elements and stuff like that there's a bloody episode of king of the hill that i remember which is a rashomon episode where they're all firefighters um there's an episode of SpongeBob, I remember where the where it's about the secret formula to Krabby Patties, I think. Um, which is a what a rash one episode. And I believe like um I think there's a Johnny Brava episode that was called like it's called something like Rashamoron or something.
0: Like <laughs> That sounds about right. Yeah.
1: And just this this whole thing, like it's just because of this film, the amount of times this has been just used as like a literary technique or film technique now is just incredible and um, you know there's other films like that there's there's tv shows and stuff and it's it's kind of incredible really and it's for me it's lovely getting to watch like the original actually i really really enjoyed it i figured like when this opens it opens with like proper proper 50s credits i forgot credits are now at the start of the film which is a, yeah which I, I don't know when that switch happened but i, I love
0: I, out, like, I love the japan the way the cinematography looks with the Jap, the white japanese yeah. text like it looks Scorched it, into the film. It, looked, almost, like... it looks perfect. Like yeah, you know, if you have like, I think there's just something about Japanese text and the way it's handwritten mm. and it's a bit scratchy and that. It just looks cool already. Do you know what I mean? Straight away, and you know like how much rain is like pouring down. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Apparently, yeah,
0: yeah. they had to put black dye in the rain so it would show up on oh, on no the screen.
1: Way. No way. Yeah.
0: Because um... the way they use light in this film, because the whites are very white. So, they had to use mirrors and that to kind of like bounce light off and stuff. So, it was like, so oh, wow. it felt very bright. Because they wanted to use, because there's, there's different theories about the light in this. Like, sure. Like, there's some people say that the bright light sometimes is dishonesty or something like that. Yeah. Or the bright light means the truth and then the darkness is the evil. Yeah, yeah. So, there's just conflicting reports on that. But, like, there are definite, like, not to get ahead, but there's definite shots, especially of the the woman. That the light is very bright on her, and I don't know. As the film goes on, it becomes less bright on her. Huh, that's like, amazing. Like a, I did notice, uh, like,
1: I, I, watching this, I noticed like the cinematography. The light was just, it was, it was um, noticeable. Like, if, mm. if you know what I mean. Like the kind of the, sometimes there was quite a kind of soft, almost blurry element to the screen. Not blurred, but like a kind of a soft element to it. Yeah, a bit of a glow to it. Yeah. Which I was considering a flashback maybe they were using that as like a memory indicator or something but a lot of the stuff is shot like um behind leaves of trees and stuff like that uh almost like kind of the truth is shaded from you or something like that Mm -hmm. um which you know I, i just liked i just liked everything watching about this film um but like
0: so yeah we find out that rashomon is um it's like a city it's like the sign we see it's like a city gate isn't it basically yeah
1: basically so, with an old kind of city gate um it's all crumbling around them and stuff
0: because as we said the book was called In a Grove.
1: I think there's another book called Rashomon so we took the title from that book. Um, right okay. and took the plot from In a Grove. I think it's the same writer though. If I I think that's right. Um I thought it was really interesting that he set it at um at a gate uh yeah. especially because one because it's an ancient city gate and it's now in ruins and that's kind of symbolizing that what i think what they're getting at is this decay of kind of morals and culture in japan which
0: also don't forget it's probably a budgetary thing as well yeah they only have they only have like what three locations so yeah only three locations you have the gates you have the woods and then you have the where they have the trial sure but they, and you literally, I think you have like seven, six or seven cast members and that's about but, it. But I mean,
1: he easily could have set the after the court thing, sitting on the steps of the courthouse or whatever, you know, sitting outside. Yeah, yeah, as. yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, definitely for sure. And um,
0: it, it looks amazing though, don't get does, me wrong. It looks, It's so imposing and it's yeah. like. So you first meet the woods cutter and then the uh, the priest. Who's the other guy? What's he do? He's like a. He's
1: just like a commoner. Yeah. But like I just, love
0: how he tears it apart. He's yeah, yeah, yeah. He's tearing apart. The to make fire, to, yeah. To make fire,
1: it, wonderful that to me was really theatric uh, theatrical yeah, like you can see that happening on stage maybe not the fire but <laughs> but yeah like um, I'd say what this um, I thought it was interesting it was at a gate which is the dividing line between different zones of authority I do you know I, I think a lot about borders at the moment because of my PhD so like I, I think of like that as um, it's like borders are like liminal spaces they don't really exist as like certain things they're just like them almost like places in between two places um and i thought that was kind of interesting because it's almost like borders and gates like that and are places where narratives meet like a narrative of one city state versus another um where traders meet stories meet um i thought that was really good for setting of a place where we're talking about an unreliable narrator which i thought that was i just know i thought that was thematic I can't. I have to assume that was purposeful, but at least it fit in the way I was watching the film. But um, mm. I, I think it's really interesting. Like, so, so, so people have said this. I don't know if if this is the first film ever to do unreliable narrator. I assume it isn't. But like, audiences in 1950 probably had little reason not to trust the narrator yeah. of the film, and yeah, yeah, yeah. this must have seemed really just big that you that this film one you can't trust anything that you're seeing on screen to be actually the truth. And two doesn't tell you what the truth is, which I think is really revolutionary. I think at the time, surely for the filmmaking. Oh yeah. Anyway, back to, uh, back to the plot. (laughs) Um, so yeah, yet, yet like the, the priest and the woodcutter hiding from the rain and the other man runs in, um, they're baffled by a strange story. They just overheard
0: about a murder. And, uh, well, we find out that the woodcutter was actually... He was the one who found...
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that bit. So, like, it, it cuts to a first story, which you see, which the woodcutter telling him how he found a body in the forest a couple of days ago. A uh, body of a samurai. And he's walking through this forest. And the, I thought the camera was so sweeping here and, like, so fluid that it was just felt really modern to me. Um, but it
0: had shots, like, which you wouldn't expect in a film like that. Like, even just, like, just shots of looking up into the trees and yeah. it's like moving forward or tracking shots and things like that, which I thought were, you know, it's obviously, they're shots that we've seen a hundred million times mm. now, but you just didn't expect it to see it in a film. No. From 1950, I guess.
1: Not at all. And I know there were certain things to look out for, because I know that about him. I know they do it right at the beginning. There's something called an axial cut, I believe the term is. You're the filmmaker. okay? But like, basically it's zooming in on something, but it's, it's creating a zoom by placing the camera in different places so it's actually physically moving the camera forward each time and cutting to each shot
0: well um, yeah that's that was one of the that's definitely one of the techniques that he was using like so that's what they were saying how there was like um so yeah there's 407 separate shots in the whole film but sometimes they're like tricks like, Yeah, you feel like it's one shot but it's actually several shots that are kind of spliced together it's very clever
1: very clever. I noticed it as soon as it opened. It does it on the gate. It, 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 it goes yeah. doosh and cuts forward into the gate um, rather than zooming in. Um, it's just quite impactful. I mean, and, uh,
0: we, we probably call those like smash cuts now, or like yeah, know, actually, like yeah, a crash, not a yeah. crash zoom, but like a, you know what I mean, like a.
1: But i talking about the the woodsman through the um through the forest, and when it cuts to like the point of view of the corpse with like I mean, the hands can. in the air, I just thought, that do was you know wonderful. what it reminded me of?
0: It reminded me of the thing where um. You see the corpse of the thing monster and they're like looking down at it so yeah. like his like looking up it kinda of yeah. reminds
1: me of that. That's exactly the same actually. Yeah. Um he also finds different things before he finds the body. He finds a woman's hat. Um <laughs> yeah. he finds a samurai's cap. Um he finds some cut rope and an amulet. And and then he finds the body of the samurai. Uh and then the priest explains that he saw the same samurai traveling with his wife the same day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. so that's that's the setup. <laughs> um, then, um, then they they show them in court. So they're addressing like these unseen kind of um, what you call it, like administrators or judges or yeah, something. Yeah. And they're explaining that to him. And then another witness appears with this. Uh, this bandit, this they called him like a notorious bandit. Um his name is uh Takumaru, maybe? Uh yeah, Takumaru I think. Yeah. Played by Mifune. Um who was found with the samurai's bow and arrows. Um he seemingly seemingly they thought he'd been thrown from the horse and he was injured himself. Um, but he corrects him and says, "No, I wasn't." Yeah, he's like laughing. The- no, how yeah. you think I was thrown <laughs> yeah. from the horse? And he says that actually, no, he drank from a spring, and there must have been a poison snake in it because he had yes, an upset off- stomach. <laughs> like, so I wasn't so, thrown from the horse. I was, you know, I was relieving myself.
0: <laughs> so when you see the story from uh his point of view, it's it only when we when we see the wife and the samurai's point of view. It's like halfway through the story, isn't it? Pretty much, so it always gets up to the rape, doesn't it? And then, so it always carries on from the rape, doesn't it? I think. Yes. So the, the... the rape and then the fight scene and then, but but the pre the pre bits of that is, you're assuming meant to be the same.
1: Yes. So yeah, the stories only diverge after the um the attack on her. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah yeah yeah. You're right. So everything. So he he explains that basically he was lounging around in the woods, saw this samurai. Didn't care about him until he noticed his wife, and she was the like, most beautiful person she'd I ever had to seen, have her. and had to have her. Yeah, yeah. You, do you see that his sword fucking goes erect in that shot? Yeah, no. know. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, he decides he's going to have to capture the wife, even if it means killing the samurai. Um, so he tricks the samurai with a promise of a, like some old swords.
0: It's <laughs> a pretty lame trick. There's, I'm sure he could have just that's... done what he wanted to do anyway without like.
1: I was thinking, I wonder if, like, in the time period it's set in, like, whatever, 10th century or whatever, Japan, um, samurais were quite, like, uh, respected members of communities. So I wondered if people did come up to them a lot and say, like, look, you've got a lot of money. I've got some swords. Please buy them off me kind of stuff. I wonder if that would be, like, relatively normal. Because it's... (laughs) I've got no reason for the samurai to go with him. Just, like, like, fuck if. I'm just going this way. Go away. (laughs) so anyway, was... he's
0: very intrigued and he follows him doesn't he? To
1: yeah the... yeah which i just love i love this like like apparently and the acting in this like it's not naturalistic it really isn't even though i think some of the performances have a weird amount of naturalistic acting in it yeah but it's not trying to be it's meant to be enhanced it's meant to be really big it's meant to be really theatric theatrical um apparently kurosawa had them watching nature documentaries uh to, because he wanted the physicality of each character to be based on different animals right. so you had like you know lions and panthers stalking stuff and things and and you see that in the kind of performance of all the actors like uh, is really doing this really wild like almost like um, a primate or something kind of leaping around all the time and like growling and laughing and throwing his arms about and stuff like that he's doing these really big performances and then you get people like the like the uh the 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 uh, medium later on who's doing all this really like primal acting and oh, calling that was around. my like, favorite part of the film I think I thought it was amazing me too yeah
0: and uh but like apparently they all lived together the whole cast and crew lived together wow and so like <laughs> Kurosawa said that like making Rashomon was pretty much like a twenty four seven night and day yeah thing yeah so they were always together in, like a very tight knit community when they were making this film
1: I don't know how they do that without falling out frankly. But, uh... <laughs> So yeah, he tricks the samurai. They end up having a. um...
0: Do they have a fight now? No, No, I don't think you see like a lot of the violence is like kind of is cut. But I think he just just, basically you just see him laughing and he's like ha ha because he's like you find. I don't think you know he's tied him to a tree, but he says later on. He
1: cuts later. Yeah, there's a bit where. um, I just loved Mifune in this. There's a bit where he's checking out the sword. I just remember I saw it in my notes like the samurai's checking out the sword and getting intrigued and it's not looking at the samurai it's looking at the bandit, if we know, and he's doing this proper like chin scratching, acting. yeah, <laughs> like mm, and getting like he's almost like you can feel the energy in him about to pop because he's so excited that he's like his trick is going to work and stuff like that. I just loved it. Like he was well, so he, like
0: he's obviously so happy that he's caught a samurai and he's kind of yeah 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 like so you don't see him do it I don't think and I then don't think then, him starts, the then he starts then he starts watching yeah. his wife like kind of spying on her but she notices yeah, yeah he yeah, comes yeah, yeah. down and goes ah oh, you're. Your husband has just fallen ill. Yeah. <laughs> at the top. Yeah, of yeah, the yeah. Come with me. It's so weird how the way they—you could have just left him there. The Why he had to show it or show her that?
1: Oh, because this is—he says, doesn't it? it's All about this thing about dishonor. Um. So he takes her there patient. just to dishonor him, like. Yeah. And just your to show your that... husband is useless. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, um, and I'm you know I'm the best kind of thing. Like, um, then she attacks him with a dagger this this very um, innate kind of beautiful kind of inlaid dagger. Um, but she she's kind of very soon overpowered. He's just kind of taunting her, really, even though she's got a lot of kind of spunk, I would say. But, like, um, he, he quickly just kind of overpowers her. And then this is kind of... That's where the narrative kind of changes, really. Because his story, then, he says he kisses her. She is immediately seduced by her. And... Mm-hmm then it kind of cuts away really um what i respected about this film which i think the 1970s can learn from is they didn't have to show anything (laughs)
0: like well yeah you never see any blades going into anyone or like any like
1: there's they definitely don't show any the the kind of sexual assault on screen
0: no they don't well i mean they probably you know censorship especially back then wouldn't have allowed anything anyway it didn't um... harm it
1: i didn't i wasn't there going oh come on (laughs)
0: <laughs> but then, when we watch this, and as soon as she becomes disarmed, I was like, "Oh no, it's bloody it's this. straw drugs all over again!" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But it works in this because it's. But well, I didn't realise at this yeah, point yeah, yeah.
0: we were going to be seeing different points of view of the same. Yeah.
1: Um. So yeah, by his story, he kisses her. She is immediately seduced by him, absolutely overwhelmed by him. Um. And then, as he is about to leave, she begs the bandit to kill, um it's kind of weird i think but she begs him to kill himself or her husband because like this has been so shameful to her she can't have two people knowing her shame she has to only have one person knowing her shame um so the bandit decides that like he'll he will let the samurai free and they will have an honorable duel to see who wins the wife because you know that's that's what women are for and uh they the band explains that they had a like an amazing fight and the band and the, the samurai was a great swordsman but eventually oh, yeah I normally won,
0: like... they don't clash more than twenty times but yeah was it twenty three times with their swords or something yeah we like clashed
1: twenty four times or something and normally people don't get anywhere near twenty or something like which I just thought was great um and he says he won I th- I love the fight scene it wasn't especially I think there's um there's a
0: product in it's, when it's we... more scrappy yeah scrappy not, yeah it's, but it's not it's... it's well especially because you know the um oh what's his the uh the uh <laughs> my mind's gone dead hang on uh the uh uh the the bandit he's definitely more scrappy in the way that he fights obviously the samurai's got more he's more posed yeah 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 and but um but how do you fight someone who's scrappy? Though you kind of, you know, unless you're two samurais, so or it's very kind of the stoic kind of, I don't know.
1: Like that, yeah. There's proper rules and gentlemen fighting, and, the, and whereas like, you know yeah. the
0: bandit, he'll he'll do whatever he needs to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was going to say actually that about um the wife fighting with the dagger. Uh, it was really um, I can't remember the character name, but there's a character in uh, S- S- oh, what's it called? Soul Caliber that oh, yeah. fights with like like her like really fluid motions in the way spinning around and kind of letting her dress kind of uh like disguise her arm movements and stuff uh, it just well, reminds I mean, me it's... of a character in it
0: well i know it's chinese but obviously you know you you're crouching tiger hidden dragon kind of things do that kind of yeah yeah sure. kind of you know Wushu lunge it, movements yeah. and things like that kind of but i know it's i know it's very different i know brandon will probably like be well yeah, cursing yeah at me sure. for 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 mentioning Chinese films with a Japanese film today. <laughs> Cuz I know he likes both, but
1: you know. Yeah, they, yeah, you shouldn't confuse them. You shouldn't like, uh, to,
0: yeah. But um yes,
1: so he kills the samurai and the in the middle of the fight the wife runs away. Uh he makes a point to say that the dagger the wife had was she dropped it. And yes. they ask him, like, well, why didn't you take where, a dagger where? home? And he goes, yeah. oh, I'm such an idiot. Yeah, that's worth so much money. I should have taken it. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm so stupid. And that's kind of the end of his testimony then, really. And then... So, like, wipe cut back to Rashomon. And, like, this is a big thing, apparently. I, I like, apparently wipes... Wipes, like, as a cut, they were really big in, like, silent cinema era. But really to use a wipe in 1950 was really antiquated. It was really silly. It um,
0: was old-fashioned. It's like using a star cut, a star wipe now. Yeah, yeah.
1: But, like, <laughs> and it's kind of funny to me, because wipes I know from Star Wars, and they exist because of Kurosawa. Oh, they yeah, you know, because he was 100% taking it from them, yeah, yeah, it was like, I love this thing. Like, So, yeah, wipe cut, which I think in, in Rashomon, they do serve a purpose. They're kind of, they're, they're marking dying kind of different narratives like when the wipes come in they're showing you that there's a different narrative coming in or they're using it as like almost like ellipses to say that we're moving to a different kind of like flashback or temple zone or stuff like that they do play a, a role here they're not just for no reason <laughs> um but i think it's kind of it's kind of cool using them and would have seen would have seen quite antiquated i think at the time um we cut back to yeah we cut back to rashomon and the commoner says that this that story makes perfect sense he knows this bandit um but he wonders what happened to the wife and the priest explains that the wife turns up at court and, uh, and whilst the kind of the woodcutters, there still going, none of this makes sense. And, and they're all lying and stuff. Um, and I thought the, um, the commoner has some really good lines here that I really liked. He goes, um, he says it's human to lie. Most of the time we cannot be honest with ourselves, which I thought was a really good. Yeah. Line. Uh, the um so the, the the wife is in court now and the first kind of element of this unreliable narrator comes in now because the bandit described the wife as like fearless uh and kind of stoic all the time but in court she's not the woman that the bandit described at all she's yeah you know, she's much more emotional yeah she's, she's def- struggling to keep herself together and crying a lot and stuff um so she explains that after the bandit raped her, he runs off and left them. Uh, she composes herself eventually and unties her husband, but the samurai just uh, reacts just coldly to her. He just he yeah. won't.
0: He just keeps staring down at her, and she's like, you know, please do anything, but don't look at me like that. You
1: know? Yeah, he looks at her just like trash, like she's spoiled goods or whatever, you know. Like yeah,
0: well, um, he pretty much says that, doesn't he? I think uh, I
1: think so. Much. Yeah, yeah. Um, just loathe it like a look of loathing, I think she says um she can't handle this look from her husband, so just like begs him to kill her uh, so she can just be at peace uh but he just doesn't even react he doesn't move or anything like that he just he's not gonna give her the that satisfaction or anything like that. um, I loved the music at this point it was um you had this slow bu- building of tension it's that it was getting like slowly mm. quicker and a bit almost a bit louder i think maybe as well like just kind of like making like like driving mm. that kind of emotional tension up
0: the one thing i just want to point out like we were talking about the sword fight you don't hear the clashing of swords at all you don't hear that's any of the noises from you don't hear any sound effects or foley from the sound the sword yeah. so that's why i was saying it's kind of very like silent film like
1: yeah it's yeah, very
0: minimalistic right. in the sound design mm. and i'm sure that was on purpose
1: I'm sure maybe it's something to do with it being someone telling a story. Like, you don't, when you tell a story, you don't go cling, clang, clink or something. Like, so maybe that's an element to that. Um, But yeah, so she can't handle this loathing look or whatever, and um, she faints with the dagger in her hand. Yeah, that's right.
0: Well, apparently, sorry, they, they lost some audio on set, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah, apparently. so some of it had to be ADR, ADR? Stuff? I didn't know it yeah. was in the ADR
1: um, but uh, yeah so yeah she faints with the dagger in her hand and when she wakes up her husband's dead and the dagger's in her chest and stuck in his chest Um, she says that she runs away and tries to kill herself by jumping into a lake but failed and, and that's again wipe and we cut back to Rashomon again
0: um, oh, hang on, hang on. Sorry, I found something else about the sound. Sorry, <laughs> it's interesting me. Uh, Kurosawa felt Kurosawa felt that the, cinema, the sound cinema multiplies the complexity of a film. Cinematic sound is never merely a compliment. Never merely what the sound machine caught while you took the scene. Real sound does not merely add to the image; it multiplies it. Regarding Rashomon, Kurosawa said, "I like the silent pictures and always have." I wanted to restore some of this beauty and thought of it and I, I remember in in this way one of the techniques of modern art is simplification and that is I must therefore simplify this film so yeah the sound was okay. was simplified on purpose
1: yeah yeah, that's
0: awesome so, sorry continue it's fine no that
1: was really interesting to say sorry you should <laughs> drop in with stuff like that um, yeah so we're, we're basically cut back to Rashomon now when the commoner he's decided that the woman's lying because she's a woman <laughs> And he basically says, like, when when women cry, they lie. So, because she was crying, he decides that she must be lying about everything. Um, the priest then explains that there's a third story they have, which See, was, this
0: is... When I was watching it, I was thinking, how are they going to do... They're obviously doing everyone's story, and there's only three people in the story. Are they going to have the dead samurai? And then they did it. I was like, that's awesome.
1: <laughs> I thought it was awesome. I was so... I was very... I I felt skeptical when I realized it was going to be like the voice of the dead kind of thing, but, but this way medium they did it. is
0: awesome. Like, well, obviously it's the male voice on; she's like lip syncing to a yeah. male voice or, or vice versa. But but it's it so creepy. Great. Yeah, yeah, and and, it... and I think the some of the picture is degraded, like yeah. just through through just through I don't know seventy years of cinema. Like, but I think it added to it the fact that the the footage was a was like bit more fucked up it kind yeah. of really helped like it was a lot darker and yeah i thought it was really good and yeah, her face is kind the of way covered she, by a veil like she,
1: and the way she moves she, the way she shirts. spins around on, on a yeah.
0: like kind of hand and stuff and it's it's so it's just fantastic it is uh it's, and like there's a cut later on like when he commits suicide the way it cuts then to her yeah. falling to the ground is amazing
1: and anyway. like there's something for me in the fact that we were seeing a kind of medium in the Japanese sense, not like the way I normally see it um, in portrayed in Western films was creepier to me. Like I loved the staff and the bells. I loved the kind of incense. I loved the the costumes, the veil, the way she was moving and stuff. It was a well, lot more full bodied of a performance. this well,
0: is a woman in a wagon with a flipping crystal ball. going on Yeah, yeah. Or it's
1: like an, oh, you know, like it's um like an old lady sitting in a chair with their hands on the table, just like throwing their yeah. head back and forth, and you know, some wind blows in the background. But this was like a full bodied performance.
0: It was like but this it, is going back like to that, the way you were saying she like, fights with the dagger. It's that kind of but. But not done in that kind of elegant way. It's done in a more kind of like... Like a visceral, feral way. Yeah, like, feral kind of. Yeah.
1: Way. yeah. I re- I thought she was brilliant. Um, Noriko Honma, I, th- I believe her name is. But I thought she was brilliant. And as you say, like, dubbing his voice over her, it didn't... I mean, obviously it was ADR. But, like, it almost felt like it was coming from her somehow. Like, it mm. was just really well done. And the lip syncing just worked somehow really, really well. It was just... It, it's a silly moment in a script which couldn't could easily not work but the way he shot it and it was performed was just wonderful (laughs) like yeah uh so yeah the samurai tells his own story then um he claims that after raping his wife the bandit asks her to travel with him and she accepted and asks the bandit to kill the samurai so she doesn't belong to two men or something. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, but the
0: bandit doesn't kill her. Kill him. He just yeah. lets him go. Doesn't he cut him open?
1: Like, yeah, he like something. he. No, he's so shocked by this request. He yeah, kind of right, sees yeah, the yeah. wife in like a different way. So instead, she he grabs the wife and chucks her to the ground and and go and to ask the samurai like, "What shall I do with her? Like this? It, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, this is such a shocking thing for someone to ask me to do. What shall I do with her? Um He decides at that point he's going to pardon. Uh, the bandit for all his crimes which is nice (laughs) (laughs) Um, while they're like while he's letting the samurai go uh, she runs away then and um, he chases after her and the samurai says I could have been sitting there for hours but sometimes later he came back and let me go and um, he when the bandit disappears he takes his wife's dagger and kills himself with it um, and and. Then it cuts back to the medium and she says that sometime later, someone else removed the dagger from my body Yeah, or something. Um, And at this point, it's just, you've got these three stories. None of them match up with each other. Like, they're all different kind of elements to them. They all have different kind of, uh, like, sensibilities. They portray people better in different ways or worse in different ways. And it cuts back to Rashomon, and these people are kind of going mad at each other, <laughs> basically. Uh, the um, the woodcutter especially is convinced that all of them are lying. like, uh, And he reveals... Don't, that you, don't
0: you think there's one moment, though, you know, where the common man looks at the... Pri- there's a moment where the common man looks at the priest after the woods. The woodsman guy, the woods is telling the story. And he kind of looks at him and rolls his eyes like, I think he's lying, or I'm thinking yeah. he's there's a moment yeah. earlier on it's not it's it's before they kind of find out that he obviously saw something yeah but um there's definitely a moment there i think and i
1: i like the um i like the way the commoner keeps the priest keeps trying to talk and the commoner's like i don't need a sermon shut up like just <laughs> let, let me hear a story it's raining it's cold let me just hear a story tell me what happened like um so the woodcutter reveals that he knows the Samurai wasn't killed by dagger he knows the Samurai was killed by a sword and the reason he knows this is because he watched it happen like he's the story that he told you earlier of him finding this stuff in the woods was a lie he actually he did come across the hat he did come across like the stuff but um at the end of it he saw uh, the rape I believe is what he basically says he's,
0: if I remember that you don't actually see him. In any of these shots though do you no. like no you don't I was it.
1: actually looking out for him just in case yeah, they put him so. in. yeah uh so he he reveals to what he believes is the object truth of the matter uh he says that um
0: it's kind of a mixture of all three really though isn't it
1: kind, kind of is yeah so he says after the rape uh the he begs. it's the bandit who's begging the wife to marry him or he'll kill her uh. Instead, she kind of runs over and releases the samurai, like, releases, like, cuts the ropes.
0: Yeah, but then he rejects her.
1: Yeah, the samurai says that he won't fight for her um, because she's a shameless whore, is exactly what the subtitle said. Um, So, instead, she kind of loses her mind. She kind of goes mad. And she kind of starts criticizing both of them, uh, like, criticizing their manhood. Criticizing their like you know their masculinity and saying that um you know how dare they not, how dare they not be man enough to fight each other or fight for a woman and stuff like that. Uh, I thought she was great here. She's similar sort of the kind of the medium. She's kind of switching back and forth for different yeah, emotions yeah, yeah. and and Glee and crying and and she gets properly into like the villain mode. She's really portrayed as a villain here. I think like uh, um and uh,
0: well because she's kind of egging them on, isn't she? Yeah. basically, and then
1: and kind of hiding when as soon as they start clashing she screams and runs away and like, and like like cries and stuff like that she um she's got all this kind of motion pent up but yeah they end up fighting they do duel but in the woodcutter's so one yeah it's crap <laughs> they're they're awful like then they're, they're very fearful of each other they're shaking their swords are shaking uh, they're slipping all over the place they're falling over it's not like a it's not like kind of anything to be celebratory the about sword yeah. sword
0: gets driven into the ground. He can't get it out, so he's kind yeah. Of like just, and then the uh, the samurai gets wedged in a tree.
1: Yeah, gets wedged in the tree. Um, he cut. Yeah, what? Like it's almost like the bandit wins almost by luck. Really? It's by,
0: yeah, it's by, it's by accident, not by accident. It... But yeah, it's definitely
1: like the sword kind of know. gets gets trapped in the stump, and then the bandits manage to get his sword back and. He kind of chases down the samurai a little bit where the samurai's stuck on the ground and just kind of chucks the sword at him, really. Very uh, much, yeah. Um, it's... What I loved about this fight, like you were saying, it's completely silent. It's like maddening. It's so silent. Like, there's yeah, no yeah. music and there's no... There's just them kind of, like, the sound of their feet on, like, the kind of grass or the dirt and then kind of, like, breathing and panicking a bit, like... um. And so, yeah, once this once the bandit kills the samurai... The wife has already fled um, but instead of chasing her he just takes the samurai swords and, and the arrows and stuff like that and just leaves like limps away really
0: and uh, that's why he falls off the horse I guess because because
1: he's injured yeah he's injured. I think yeah
0: oh, and also the, probably the horse may be rejecting him because you know he's just, uh, just a bandit just a wily bandit well like because you know horses horse like you know my dad's got a horse and if someone goes in the field that doesn't my horse doesn't know or recognise? He goes fucking ape Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, if you're be jumping on someone like a, a someone's horse that you know someone else's horse, then yeah, just be prepared that it's probably going to throw you off or be very temperamental.
1: <laughs> well, that doesn't match to every western I've ever seen. That <laughs> <laughs> you're meant to jump off the inn roof onto a horse, <laughs> like, <laughs> onto any waiting horse. <laughs> so yeah. So then back to Rashomon. Uh, they start debating which story is most believable, really. Um, but they're interrupted by the sound of a crying baby. Yeah. Um, uh, the commoner, instead of helping the baby, just steals the just kimono. That <laughs> <laughs> <It's wrapped. laughs> yeah. like the baby's wrapped in this kimono. It's got like an amulet, like an expensive amulet as well. And the the commoner just steals the kimono and the amulet. Uh, the woodcutter's kind of starts chastising him about this, um, but like the commoner pushes back saying that like look in this world if you're not selfish you're dead like you gotta look after for yourself kind of thing and at that point the commoner realises that the woodcutter didn't tell anyone that he'd seen the incident in the woods because he was the one who stole the wife's expensive dagger Dagger, yeah. and that's what happened to it and uh so he kind of chastised him saying that like you're just a bandit calling another bandit a bandit like how dare you kind of thing um And it's quite clear that the woodcutter doesn't deny that the woodcutter stole the dagger. That's like, that's one of the truths of this whole story, I think. Um, But he doesn't show you that. You could still argue that's not true, but the the woodcutter does seem to kind of, that does shake like the kind of, the woodcutter. Um, The priest kind of like just falls apart now like his faith he just claims well, his
0: faith in man is kind of been shot. Test- it's shot yeah, it's been yeah, tested yeah. now it's shot because the one person who he thought who was with him that he could trust he you know he can't trust he anyone.
1: can't and he's just watched it's no, this horrible murder happened uh, there's definitely and now a found person. out baby's
0: been abandoned by the parents so yep. that's another another thing
1: and like, and none of the stories make sense. Everybody's lying. Not like no one is telling the truth. Here. Like everyone is lying to some degree. Even the woodcutter's lying at this point. Like you, you can, it was presented like he was finally going to tell the truth of what happened. But with the revelation that he stole the dagger, what you have to think then is look back at his story and Historian think, well, what's what's different? Yeah, what's what- different here? Why would he portray the wife as so evil? Maybe it's something to do with the fact that he stole her dagger and so he would want to portray her as evil because that mm-hmm. means his theft is more honorable or something yeah, like you can't they say, the they
0: basically like... say that men lie to themselves like that so they were saying that people lie to themselves so much that they convince themselves it's the truth yeah exactly um, which is know. a great line yeah. and if he does that where you know where he if he puts the woman in a bad light he can convince himself well I was justified in
1: yeah it's justified she's yeah look how horrible she is yeah yeah like yeah absolutely so like you're left at this point none of the stories are true or or none of them are you can believe or or know what happened um which is wonderful really um so like uh the uh, the, then what happens which is kind of cool the um the woodcutter then reaches for the baby and the priest is like no you don't get the baby like but the woodcutter's like no, no, no! no I've look, got, like, I've got six kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got one more six more won't help. already. What's one more? <laughs> I was thinking quite a lot, frankly. But yeah. um, uh, and um, this kind of re- revelation that the woodcutter is a good man, or at least wants to pre- wants to try and be a good person, uh, puts like the theft of the dagger in like a new kind of light in the priest's head, really. Um, and so the, the priest gives the baby to the woodcutter. And uh, says that maybe there is hope for humanity yet. I think that's kind of what one of his last lines, really. And it really just at that point, the kind of the it stopped raining. The, you know, a um, bit more sun yeah, coming a, through. Like,
0: yeah, it's just. I think it's just basically to show that you know, there's a bit. You know, there is light. Bit of light. In it. Yeah,
1: and uh, the woodcutter just walks home with the baby, and that's the end. And because I it's think originally it just finishes.
0: <laughs> I think originally I read that he wanted it to be overcast just to show there is the possibility of mm. shit going it's back still south again. But yeah, yeah. but apparently when they filmed it they just they couldn't. It wasn't, you know, the right kind of you know,
1: right kind of weather. So,
0: was, it, the sky wasn't, you know, they just had to deal with what they had. Um, so
1: was all this recorded outside in location was all this location shot?
0: Do you know? I believe it may have been a set for the um, where the trial was.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. I think the, the gate was built for it, I think, like on location, which is quite remarkable. Yeah.
0: But if you think about it, probably, the, the gate itself is just, it's like one panel that they can kind of flip around and go to yeah. the back of it and you've got a back of it and, you know, they probably build one set that they can like utilize in different shots and stuff. Yeah. But apparently like with the filming there was like um like there was quite an experimental like approach to the piece. So they'd have like a series of single close ups of the bandit and the wife and the husband and they'd keep repeating these three shots over and over again to kind of emphasise like this triangular relationship okay. Like, okay, between them and um like the length of times of shots of the wife, the bandit and the uh the samurai with the same length. Right things like that quite interesting
1: huh it's i know that um the film wasn't especially well received in japan i think i mentioned that earlier like and when this film started be, just being the biggest film in the world in in the west uh they were quite critical of it they were basically saying it's because it's the most western of japanese films that's why yeah, it's yeah. the only reason they like it or uh but i think uh, kurosawa basically said this is just what japanese people do we're so good at criticizing japanese things <laughs> like that was his kind of like, way of
0: thinking about it But like I said I think one of the reasons why it was so successful Is because you could watch it without reading the dialogue And you can yeah. pretty much kind of guess what's going on The music yeah. isn't necessarily overly Japanese I don't, I don't know how that sounds I know what you mean say, But it's not like mean. It's not cliche, you know Yeah, I, I know, yeah Especially at that time And
1: and like it's, They're very simple archetypes of the characters you got the kind of honourable man or at least his position yeah. in society is. Uh you got the bandit and you got like the beautiful wife. Um and it does through watching it you start thinking stuff like, how are these ever a married couple? If any of these stories are slightly <laughs> true, <laughs> like how would they work up at all? Like um and it does start making you question everything you think about these archetypes. You know, the honorable man isn't very honourable. The the wife isn't very devoted. The you know, the bandit might not be that evil he you know in one of the storytelling he's quite fearful and scrappy really he's just a, a man like you know trying to survive and, you know that and like so,
0: later on he's talking to the the wife and he's basically saying look i'll become an honorable person yeah yeah, yeah. i'll do anything you I'll want yeah s- yeah. i'll yeah. stop doing what i'm doing and i'll i'll do whatever you want me to do i'll sell things on the streets yeah. just to kind of you know it's um... that's all said after what he's done though do you know what i mean so oh <laughs> no no can't... no no
1: not it's not too <laughs> it's not to say that he's a great person I just mean like it gives you it makes each character complicated it's um it gives like new it does shine different lights on each of these characters which works I mean it absolutely works there's a there's a reason why this you know we said the Rashomon effect earlier the idea that witnesses witness testimony can't be um can't be relied upon is called the Rashomon effect because of this like it's a thing about that the idea that objective truth exists is you know a lie because truth doesn't exist truth is just Mm. about what you what you see and what you think like um it's smart as smart as fuck
0: (laughs) yeah it's i mean like what would what would you give it then out of five then if you were to mine was are, an easy no, but... five
1: it was yeah, like hands yeah. down it's 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 Just...
0: almost flawless really I yeah mean, it is it's, it is and you even know because the, the running to talk time about well. a film perf- doing exactly yeah. what supposed to do and hitting yeah. all the right cylinders is like it's it, it's a film that's firing on all cylinders do you know what i mean yeah. and you know cinematography and this... music and okay you could probably say the acting's a bit questionable but it's it works for what it's I think it doing.
1: absolutely works. I think a more naturalistic I mean? performance of this wouldn't be as fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. I think the whole kind of... The, the, the performances feel like they're, they're a story being told. You know, they feel like you're watching something that's been written because they're all about flashbacks. They're all about someone writing a story, telling you a story. So the performances match that energy to it, really, rather than them just being this kind of... Or rather than just trying to show as, like, natural or something, it does feel theatrical and I think that works for the narrative I've um, I have a quote from Kurosawa about the film, which I thought was really cool, so uh, I think I'll read that Uh, he says human beings are unable to be honest with themselves, about themselves they cannot talk about themselves without embellishing this script portrays such human beings, the kind who cannot survive without lies to make themselves feel like they are better people than they really are you say that you can't understand this script at all, but that is because the human heart itself is impossible to understand. And I thought that that's that is a brilliant quote. That sums up everything so yeah, perfectly. Yeah, definitely. And um, I'm really excited because like this is a guy that I've known the name of forever. I can't say it, but I know the name of, and I knew I've known of this film forever. So this was wonderful just watching this you know like i'm not gonna beat myself up for not watching it before i should have but like it's wonderful to to see it now
0: what what we talk about next week oh good question
1: uh oh we are doing i think i think and this is shameful if true i think this is our first british film we're covering next week is that Would that be right might be
0: I But yeah, you well, could say that um uh straw dogs is a british film
1: I guess so. American filmmaker, though. What about Remains of the Day?
0: What about Remains of the Day?
1: Can I be a British film?
0: Well, I don't know. It's an Indian film production company. Isn't oh, yeah. Anyway. Isn't it? I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Yeah,
1: so we're doing an Ealing comedy, which, like, I'm really excited about doing an Ealing comedy. I've oh, yes. Seen the Man in the them. White Suit. So, yeah, The Man in the White Suit with uh, with uh, Alex Guinness. and um,
0: Old Obi-Wan Kenobi.
1: yeah apparently every single film we do is connected to star wars <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, i'm really excited I'm, right to watch to, I'm really excited to see alex guinness in his prime um he's if you've ever seen the lady killers it's wonderful so these mm-hmm. a big element of british cinema and yeah next week will be the man in the white suit
0: awesome can't wait Right, um thanks for listening uh, don't forget to like, review and subscribe on all different social medias and uh, on uh, various ways you can get podcasts over that Spotify, YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, where else? Amazon Music. Are we on anything else? I don't know. <laughs>
1: that would do. Whatever. Just leave, <laughs> us, leave uh, us a review,
0: please. Yeah, just please review. Subscribe. And also reach out to us on Twitter Uh, twitter we'd love to speak to you Mm -hmm. about the films that we're watching what your thoughts you know your feelings on these films um yeah you can reach out to us at adjust your track that's a yr not a your on twitter and yeah don't forget if the pitch is bad always adjust your tracking